0: Hey, it is Ross Tucker from the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, among other NFL-related podcasts, the former NFL offensive lineman, and yes, we are going to have an NFL season. It is here, thankfully. So, if you want to bet on the games, it is the Even Money Podcast. If you just want to play fantasy football, Fantasy Feast Podcast, or every day your NFL Fix, the aforementioned Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Hey guys, we have a great deal for you as all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least twenty dollars into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's right, it's a forty dollars value for just twenty bucks, and you get the opportunity to turn that twenty into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your twenty dollars. With promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. This is a no brainer $40 PFF Edge. You get it for 20 bucks and you get to play awesome daily fantasy sports. Promo codes PFF over at Monkey Knife Fight. I mean what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brainy. This week they got Brainy. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to
1: PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco?
0: And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that Talk about the game, Sam. Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Hey, Sam. What's up, Steve? I'm back. You are. This is awesome. It's great to be back. You're clean. All right, well, they... T- Look, I've been clean for a while. <laughs> they tried to keep me out. They were trying to keep me out of the building, Sam. They were, yeah, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't. Let, I'm not letting it happen. I'm okay. back. PFF NFL podcast week two is in the books. How you doing?
1: Doing good. How about you? Awesome. It's very early in the morning. The it's morning. Very early. That's why I've you know coffee is required. This is real energy though. I've been. I got a lot of takes. Well, yeah, you've been you've been quarantined and kept away for a while. You've been building it up.
0: Well, I'm ready. I'm okay. recovered. Virus has been shed. Shit. We're ready to go. So let's get through. I I might have week one and week two takes. I have to combine them into one. We don't have that kind of time, Steve. All All right. Well, let's roll through. Week two is in the books. We're going to go game by game through all of it. Let's start with Thursday night football. Cincinnati Bengals and Cleveland Browns. Thursday night always feels like it was so far away. Yeah. Uh, It was a pretty good game, though. I thought the Cleveland Browns, especially offensively, looked like what we were expecting them to be this, this year last week against the Baltimore Ravens not as clean it wasn't the type of offense we expected Baker Mayfield uh one of his better games in a while and Joe Burrow continues to improve and at least give some hope for Bengals fans
1: yeah I was weirdly excited about this game before the game like I think a lot of people looked at it on paper and were like Browns Bengals Thursday night like this this is not the game you want to get yourself excited for the weekend you know on Thursday I thought this looked kind of interesting on paper and it sort of panned out that way um I, I mean, I was texting you during the game, some way, midway through the first sec- first or second quarter. Maybe it's like we might get good Baker tonight, and we did right up until he threw the dumb interception. Yeah, but, the one bad pick, right? And the pick was bad. There's no excuses for it. It goes down as a significant negative in PFF's grading. But those are plays that happen, right? Quarterbacks make that mistake. It's not. I don't think that in in and of itself is like a giant indictment of Baker's play. It, it's an issue. And also, I didn't notice until like the second time through, but he had to avoid a free rusher on his right hand side before he delivered the pass. So I suspect if, you know, if his eyes got pulled to the right away from the corner, that he had to check on the left before he let fly. Again, I I can understand how that happens. But to me, way more encouraging was what he was doing like structurally. Stayed in the pocket way more than he usually does. Um, You could see him fighting it at times, like mentally. There were times where he clearly wanted to bounce from the pocket and then sort of forced himself to stay, to reset, and deliver the pass. But he basically showed that, A, he can still do that, and, B, when he does, the accuracy comes back. Like, when he isn't running for his life trying to do crazy stuff outside the pocket, he's still capable of standing there and putting the ball exactly where it needs to be. He's still a fundamentally accurate quarterback. Now, week one, I think you almost have to say, it's the Ravens, he had no shot, throw it out. Week two you almost have to go all the way to the other side and go, it's the Bengals. Of course he was going to look okay. Let's throw that out. Week three, I think, is where you get a better idea of where in the middle of those two extremes he actually is because week three they face uh, Washington, who have at least a legit defensive line. He should be under some kind of pressure. But given the opposition, I think that's as encouraging as you can be encouraged as you can be for Baker Mayfield.
0: That's my takeaway with a lot of the... Reactions and overreactions through two weeks. You have to put in perspective who has been played yeah. and you know how the schedule has played out. The encouraging part, I think, for the Browns' offense, 41% play action rate, just kind of getting into the system we expected. They did they did not do that in week one. Yeah, the two-headed monster of uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt was outstanding, uh, forced nine missed tackles on that game. Uh, in that game against the Bengals, to your point though, the Bengals looked a little soft up front and on on both lines really. Um, put Joe Burrow in uh, empty sets. So, you know, five wide, which a lot of people look at and they think, well, that's difficult for pass protection. It's not necessarily because you're going to get the ball out quickly. It actually protects the line a little bit, unless you're the Bengals, though. Because as soon as there was like a sixth rusher and any sort of, you know, confusion up front by the defense, there's confusion on the offensive line. So Burrow, I think, you know, a lot of people were talking about it during the game, Uh, impressed, right? Be excited, Bengals fans. The dude's taking hits making big but he missed some throws he did his usual stuff but i think overall got to be encouraged by his performance yeah
1: you have to whether or not he's the total package right now in terms of overall grade and all those kinds of things you have to like the poise that he's showing and you know for baker mayfield got put in a great situation and showed that he can still play at a high level burrow is not in a good situation i mean his receivers are okay but the line is giving him problems he's in a hole asked to be uh, asked to drop back and pass 64 times um, counting nullified plays. Like, that's a horrible space right. to be. And he's still back there dealing without making, you know, hideous uh, plays left and right. Like, he's playing pretty well given the circumstances. So that's encouraging.
0: Crazy stat line. The official stat's 37 for 61 for, for only 316 yards. Yeah. So that's 5.2 yards per attempt. Three touchdowns. A.J. Green looks off. A. He a. Green. did,
1: although, I mean, he was – for most of that game, he was being covered by Denzel Ward, who's one yeah. of the better man cover guys. In the like, there was one catch that he made where Ward broke it up like twice, and it still landed in his hands. Like, right? You know, I mean, I he didn't look great, but that's as tough a, an assignment as he's going to draw in terms of a man-to-man cover guy. So I I wouldn't read too much into it.
0: I think moving forward, Bengals try to keep Burrow healthy, continue to have some optimism, find some playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Cleveland, though, uh, you know. They still feel like one of those mid-tier teams that in any given week can be uh, difficult and dangerous. They have their own issues, I think, on the back end, though, and that'll determine their season. Let's go to the Packers and Lions, and the Packers are looking strong through two weeks, and the Lions, who were supposed to—they're part of our, you know, one of our underdog darlings, if you have enough time in the offseason to talk yourself into it. yeah, We did that with the Lions, and it is so uh, nice. not looking good so far.
1: Yeah, a huge amount of that, though, was like if Matthew Stafford plays in 2020 the way he was playing in 2019 before he went down. My argument against that was always, but there's a lot of what he was doing that seemed unsustainably, you know, good and or aggressive on the end of certain spectrums, like average depth of target. If he'd extended that throughout the season, it would have been, I think, the highest average depth of target we've ever seen uh, over like a full season of a pass heavy quarterback so that's probably not going to happen the second year in a row like it just isn't and so far it isn't and if he doesn't play like that they're not as good as people were expecting them to be on the other hand Aaron Rodgers might be (laughs) yeah so I don't think Rodgers looked quite as good as he looked in week one on the basis that I think in week one he was basically unplayable just didn't miss right like Week one, Aaron Rodgers was was like peak Aaron Rodgers. That's as good as he ever plays and ever has played, which is as good as any quarterback we've ever seen play the game, right? Like that's up yeah. there with peak Mahomes, with peak Brady, peak Manning. Like that's as good as it gets. Week two wasn't that, but it wasn't like all the way back to, okay, he's the guy we've seen for the last few years. Through two weeks, Aaron Rodgers is back, like the real MVP caliber Aaron Rodgers. And that changes the entire balance of power in
0: the nfc yeah i mean i think here's the biggest thing with Rodgers. starting in 2015 the easy stuff just wasn't there right i mean again it's easy to just put on a highlight reel and say this guy's awesome you know, rogers has the highlight reel over the last couple of years high percentage of big time throws low percentage of turnover worthy throws the difference for Rodgers since that 20 he had the 2016 stretch in his 2014 mvp season the difference since then has been the quote-unquote easy stuff right just accuracy on short area stuff uh, finding guys over the middle of the field all of that stuff I mean that has been on point in these first two games you know so I don't think you know when you talk about like Roger's regression the last couple years statistically it was the fact that he just wasn't nearly as consistent for his say 40 dropbacks per game 35 dropbacks per game even though he still has the special in him he is he has now ranged that back in um, and been excellent, and then you have Aaron Jones in the backfield, seventy-five yard touchdown run in there. Um, you know, for a team that does not this is this is what's more impressive though. Too with Rodgers, it's a team that doesn't have great playmakers, right? Just on paper, beyond Devontae Adams is special, and we've talked about the value of having that one guy to carry a receiving core, but he's helping to develop the other guys. And MVS works, Valdez Gan like works the deep game extremely well so you're gonna get some chunk plays but he's gonna drop passes you have Robert Tanyan being you know being his tight end threat I mean Rogers is doing a good job of developing these other playmakers that on paper the Packers didn't do a really good job of surrounding him with talent
1: yeah baptism uh, by fire for Jeffrey Akuda yesterday just put in a blender by Devontae Adams he did um, he was but it's a great example of how stats can lie sometimes right Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford have very similar box score numbers coming out of this game um, but one of them was dealing with seven drops uh, and one of them was dealing with three. Now, two of them were on nullified plays for Rodgers, so they didn't count. But, like, those massively change what you expect in terms of outcomes and um, PFF grading as well. Also, obviously, Stafford had to pick six and another turnover worthy play in there as well. Rodgers had none because right. Rodgers, when he's playing well, just doesn't turn the ball over. So. Um, those, even though the numbers are very, very similar, I think the performance definitely wasn't. And Rogers, through two games, has been let, getting let down a lot by those receivers—the the guys that we have been talking about for a while is not helping him out. They're still not really helping him out, with the exception of uh, Devonte Adams. But he's proven that he does like he doesn't need it. This great debate about which was the bigger problem—Rodgers or the lack of help he's showing through two games that like when he's at his best, he doesn't need the help. Right. And right. That's, it's always, it's it's tough, right? Because in theory, anytime your receivers aren't great and they're not helping out the quarterback and they're making them worse, it's a problem. But Rogers is one of those few transcendent quarterbacks that doesn't actually need it. If he had it, it would be great, but he's shown before he doesn't actually require it to be great. And, that's still there again like that was the debate is is that is that part of him still there or has he become a quarterback that is not transcendent anymore and so far the answer is no he's still
0: capable of it so far looking good yeah for sure and five drop passes in there to your point it could be even better yeah you know I my weekly uh QB article that I wrote uh starting last week I gave him the best incompletion of the week so, I mean, he hit Valdez-Scantling about 45 yards down the field right in his hands. Week one, Valdez-Scantling
1: cost yeah. him like 100-plus
0: yards for yeah. two drops. He'll also be there on the, on the receiving end of a, a deep ball or two per game, uh, you know, creating chunk plays. But, man, there's there's more uh, out there for Rodgers in this Packers offense. Uh, for the Lions, you know, pivotal year for Matt Patricia, uh, a defense that hasn't been good over the last couple of years. Um, part of my optimism was with the receiving core, with having a Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola. Galladay hasn't been pl- hasn't played. Um, just that has not panned out. And these, you mentioned Stafford's pick six, um, just a poor late under pressure decision. You know, laying it out there to the flat. That um, you know the Packers week in week out always feel like they. You know, whether it's a Jair Alexander, that was Chandon Sullivan with the with the pick six. They're one of those teams that is, I always say, capable of putting together good defensive performances on the back end. And again, I think that's what makes the Packers difficult. You can't bank on defense week in, week out, but they've got a pretty good group of guys in the secondary that can give them a shot every single week.
1: They're, like I say, Rodgers, if he's back to being MVP caliber Rodgers, that changes the entire balance of power in the NFC because the Packers go from a team that at 13-3 and three a year ago, I think overachieved what? their performance suggested they should have had and I think there was a notable gap between them and the very best teams in the NFL like the 49ers as we saw in the NFC Championship game but if you ran it back and replaced the Rodgers they had last year with the guy that showed up through two weeks it's a different conversation like they go from being a, a, an overachieving 13-3 and team to probably exactly where they should be and easily the match of a team like the 49ers because they now have a massive disparity in their favorite quarterback like you know they you can argue that their offseason didn't make them any better but if Rodgers went from being 2019 Aaron Rodgers to Super Bowl or to 2011 MVP Aaron Rodgers that's the single biggest upgrade they could make by a mile like they go
0: it catapults them into a completely different area yeah obviously if he's playing at that level they're up there just like the Russell Wilson level in Seattle which we'll get to uh, let's go to Miami and Buffalo. Sam, Josh mm-hmm. Allen looking fantastic overall. Still got away, away with a couple turnover-worthy plays. That's for the people to say they still can't give they can't give Josh Allen full credit. I'm going to give him full credit. Okay. He's looking really good. You, you just didn't give him full credit. I, I'm just while well, I was just stating facts.
1: Well, that's not allowed. You can't do that. The Bills people don't let you state the facts. They let they are all or nothing, and if you don't. And, and also, silence is an admission of guilt. If you don't immediately come out and praise him for anything he does good, you're, you're part of the problem. I don't want
0: to be guilty, so I am okay. praising Josh Allen right now. He's doing well. I mean, look, yeah. it, it's a, I would say statistically, I mean, statistically, he's ridiculous right now. Yeah. But um, it's a lot of what we were expecting coming in, which is this plethora of playmakers is going to elevate Josh Allen's game. But also to his credit, he has thrown the ball more accurately. Um, the week one game, again, there's like there are like just enough plays in a game where he, to like hold his grade down that people are they're still going to be angry when the grades come out. Mm. When the grades are finalized, people are still going to be a little mad. I think um, even after week one, they're, like he fumbled twice in week one. Like he threw what should have been a pick on the goal line in week one. He's had a couple questionable decisions yesterday. But as far as when he came out, the chunk plays that you could see him creating with his arm, he's starting to make those. He's playing confidently, and he's got guys getting open for him. Um, and in a turn of an, a turn of events, it's not the Bills defense that's winning games. It's the Bills offense that's winning games. And Allen has been a catalyst there, also with his rushing ability in there as well.
1: Yesterday against the Dolphins, he was phenomenal in the fourth quarter as well, which is is. It's always an interesting way of the game presenting itself. This is kind of the Andrew Luck thing, right? It was how much cra- how much praise do you give a guy for putting out the fire that he started in the first place? Now, this isn't that because, Rod, like, uh, Alan wasn't bad for the first three quarters of the game, but it's... Look at you complimenting when him. When you turn it on in the fourth quarter, it skews perception of what you did, uh, I think, to a degree. But what's really interesting to me is that there he's won in different ways through two weeks. Like, the first week we spent all off season saying if he can just figure out how to connect on those deep passes more then it's a completely different conversation. He's a mass because if he goes from being bad at the uh, most valuable plays in football as a quarterback to being okay, that's, I, I, it's like the biggest leap forward you can make. It's huge. Um, and week one, they didn't, but so week one, what they did is they're like, well, he can't hit those deep passes. So let's just not attempt any, let's focus on the areas of the field where he's actually better already and things are better week two though he was connecting on the deep shot like right. week three he hit a bunch of those um, so that I think is really encouraging that he's done it in a couple of different ways like I don't think the Stephon Diggs John Brown like those guys coming in doesn't make him a more accurate passer deep down the field but it's got to help your confidence level and it gives you a greater margin for
0: error. At the same time, though, like he wasn't going to complete 20% again. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't going to complete a ridiculously low percentage.
1: Right. But even like the late shot to to John Brown was a deep down the field was a perfect example. Like that was an underthrown ball, but he was so wide open that they had just enough time for it to be complete and make it into a big play. Right. But the point is, he's throwing catchable balls now, not ones that sail 10 yards over the guy's head. And like there's nothing he could do to give him a shot. Like, I, I would be encouraged. Now, again, what we just said with Baker Mayfield, right? You have to put some kind of context into who he's played. Oh, boy. And through Here two weeks, we've played the Jets and the Dolphins, who are going to be two of the worst teams in the NFL. Now, it's not like it makes it meaningless, but...
0: Why are you tearing him down? Why not. did the schedule makers set this up perfectly so that they could get some Josh Allen hype? Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying...
1: It doesn't make any sense to not be aware of the context right if if you're gonna look at baker mayfield and say yeah you have to be encouraged by what he did but let's be real it was the Bengals. let's wait a week until we crown him i think you got to do the same thing for josh allen and say he, he played really well yesterday that's one of his better games through two weeks he's looked really good now not as good as the like silly stats that people are putting out there that like through two weeks. There's a name of like Josh Allen, Peyton Manning, Patrick Mahomes, and somebody else and in Hall of Fame, right?
0: All like, from their like fifty a touch fifty touchdown seasons. exactly, right? So if you're
1: pulling that out and saying this is who he is this season, you're I mean that's silly, right? That isn't it. So he's not playing that well, but he's playing well, yeah. But the point is like you can't just do it in a vacuum. You have to at least acknowledge that the Jets suck and the Dolphins aren't
0: good. Byron Jones limited to only four snaps yesterday, right? Oh. Oh, Sam, you just can't give credit. Where, let's 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 just get it on the record. Uh-huh. Has Josh Allen played well through two games? Yes. There you go. Come on back, Bills fans. More Come back point, and join us.
1: Played well as a passer. Like, yes. Taking, and taken steps forward. Improved things that he wasn't good at a year ago. Like, again, so th- this is the intriguing thing about Josh Allen is for a, a boom or bust prospect, I guess, he is his uh, development has been like remarkably consistent and short
0: stepped he has continued to get better
1: but not just in like yeah not just sort of giant leap here giant leap here it's been like short small baby steps the whole way for this remarkably consistent slow upward trajectory like it's i, I don't know you you assume that a guy that's sort of all toolsy and boomer bust will you know go either all in one direction or all in the other and very quickly but he's actually just steadily had this slow improving career arc it's kind of interesting to watch
0: I would say also credit the bills as well when we talk about a pass first approach uh they're taking a pass first approach they're putting him in they're passing when they should in favorable situations they're doing a good job there they absolutely did that in week one against the Jets it's the opposite of teams that feel like well I've got this young quarterback I need to protect them. We're gonna run, run, pass, and you know try to get into favorable third downs. So they're doing a really good job of attacking. So Buffalo Bills, the leaders in the AFC East, the sole leaders at two and zero. Oh. Let's go to the Minnesota Vikings and the Indianapolis Colts. Man, twenty-eight to eleven. The Colts just pretty much dominated. I mean, it was a crazy game because Kirk Cousins at one point has a stat line with a zero passer rating yeah got it all the and, way back to 15 by the end of the game and even when you uh you say look there was a hail mary in there as one of those interceptions i think uh our friend arif had a he's like look you got to take that out if you take that out his passer rating's 13 yeah. so you're good you're fine then um again uh, cousins passing grade isn't going to be nearly as bad as that passer rating but he's putting the ball in harm's way a little bit too much sprinkling in some big-time throws. This is just not how the Minnesota Vikings want to play football.
1: No. I mean, this is a great example of the context thing we've just been talking about, right? Week one, one, the Packers wrecked the Vikings, and you're left not really knowing what happened, right? Was Aaron Rodgers amazing? Do the Vikings suck? Or is it something – or is it both, right? And week two was a chance to answer that on both sides. Aaron Rodgers comes in and plays really well again, so we're at least – it's a, you can't be 100% confident, but that reinforces your original thought that Rodgers played amazingly in week one. He might be all the way back. And we, the Colts game did the same thing for the Vikings. It's, it reinforced the fact that this defense is not good. It's got problems. And overall, I think this is an example now of the Vikings have just reached tipping point of this, the talent level on this roster has been slowly eroding since that 2017 season where they were basically all in for Super Bowl. Right. And it's just reached tipping point where it's now like it's critical
0: mass. It's a problem. They can't overcome the fact that there just isn't that much talent on this roster. I mean, that was the bottom line, right? It was this weird dynamic of, they had to rebuild. They were, they were in rebuilding mode and they re-upped Kirk cousins. Yeah. And Kirk cousins, the, our description of Kirk cousins is the complete opposite. It's like, if you have yeah everything nice around him, particularly playmakers, system scheme, all that stuff, the guy can make some throws, and he can put up some good numbers as he has throughout most of his career. He's always had pretty much a good supporting cast, except maybe one year at Washington, he had to drag some receivers along, had a bad offensive, bad offensive line, 2017 maybe. But now we're seeing the rebuild in the secondary for the Vikings. That's, I think, the biggest issue. The reliance on Holton Hill and Mike Hughes and you know, Jeff Gladney, uh, he struggled yesterday, the rookie. I think it's more just it's going to take some time. So you've got a rebuilding team. With a veteran, high-paid quarterback in Kirk Cousins. And I think in the NFL today, right now, that's going to be a challenge.
1: Yeah, they, we said this at draft time. They had a great draft. But if you're leaving yourself in a position where you need two or three rookie starters to come in and play like established veterans that aren't a problem, you're immediately behind the eight ball. Because the chances of three of those guys panning out year one is tiny. Like, you might hit it long-term and three of the guys pan out. Even that is a pretty low percentage play. To expect all of them to hit the ground running in the first year of action is just not going to happen. Um, one encouraging thing, I think, for their defense is that Ngakwe looked a lot better week two than he did when he was just brick-walled against David Bakhtiari yeah. in week one. They need him to be legit along with getting Denell Hunter back, and suddenly you've got a little bit of help up front. Now at least you've got two sources of pressure – um, even if there's not much else. Because that, I mean, that secondary, they're not going to take giant leaps forward all by themselves. One thing that could help is if you suddenly find a source of pass rush up front and start limiting the amount of time you're expecting those guys to cover. But overall, yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a major issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, how many times did they pressure Aaron Rodgers in week one? They only got to six, seven uh, yesterday yeah. with Phillip, you know, on Phillip Rivers. And that's the point I wanted to make about Phillip Rivers now. I don't want, like, the the Colts are still a dangerous team. You know, I think we tend to just see one-week performance and maybe write them off, but the Colts are still extremely dangerous uh, in the AFC South. Phillip Rivers in week one, the Colts moved the ball up and down the field, left and right. Rivers yeah. made a ton of good throws. It was like three throws did them in, right? Three, mm-hmm. you know, turnover-worthy throws that were just poor and You know, that was essentially the game, right? He didn't have those yesterday, um, and they're still spreading the ball around. You know, uh, sorry about the table. Mm. I'm rusty. I'm rusty on the way back here, trying to stay comfortable here. You got new chairs. You you changed everything on me. I I didn't do anything. I just sat down. Well, Uh, no, I sat in the other
1: chair, I guess. I did that. You sat on this side? Yeah. Well, not voluntarily. I came into the studio. Mike was sitting here, so... What am I going to do? What a terrible take podcast.
0: Back. The people were not happy. They'll be excited to see me back. You think? Don't you think? Uh, sure. I think our fans. Yeah. Anyway, what Philip Rivers is, is getting clean pockets. I mean, he is literally like two plays away from a pretty pristine first two weeks <laughs> of action. Right? With yeah. the Colts. That was the
1: weird thing about week one. It's like he kind of did what they expected him to do. Like he actually dropped back to pass a lot and overall he did really well it's just that he had two really bad decisions in there and it's like part of the thing is if you're going to be the sort of established veteran quarterback that's the difference between us winning and losing you really can't throw two hideous interceptions
0: yeah i'm not i'm not giving him a pass but you know it was a it was another pretty clean game for him yesterday 19 of 25 um and again he's only he's been pressured uh 13 times in two weeks, yeah, I mean that was that's like the second quarter with the Chargers. Right, that part you know? is
1: holding up beautifully. The idea that he is he's behind the best offensive line he's ever been behind in his career, which can only help.
0: Uh, Mo Alley Cox, the big playmaker with uh, 111 receiving yards. A lot of fantasy folks were like, "Hey, get in on uh, on Mo Cox as the Colts don't trot any tight ends out there." And look at him coming through with 111 yards. Jonathan Taylor becomes the bell cow with 26 carries for 101. Uh, for whatever that's worth, I believe he's going to produce behind that Colts offensive line. Of course
1: he is. I mean, they, like for fantasy purposes, it was like whoever, whoever gets the carries behind that Colts offensive line is going to have massive success. The problem is it doesn't look like they're going to pick one of these guys between uh, Taylor and, and Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack goes down week one and answers the question for everybody. Like, now that's Jonathan Taylor's gig. He's going to have a huge season because that offensive line is monstrous. Did you see a play where, like, Quentin Nelson just drove the defensive line, like all of yeah. it, into the end zone? He's I, the best. Yeah, that that rushing game is going to have a ton of success, which can only help Phillip
0: Rivers. All right, Denver Broncos and the Pittsburgh Steelers. i got to say, after you know, Drew Locke gets hurt. Uh, Jeff Driscoll comes in. Jeff Driscoll continues to, like – kind of impressed me for a backup i I, I had had low expectations i had such low expectations there was a play i know there's some bad stuff on goal (laughs) to
1: go he took a sack and i genuinely think that every single part of his progression was wide open at the time
0: but also like three big time throws they dropped a bunch of paths look i'm just saying he's impressed me because i've because i followed him can i even i can't show what's on this thing why not oh shoot not when i'm hitting the mic logo issues logo issues i can't show what that is you think you were going to get sued by yeah the people okay. are going to sue us they uh i watched him through his florida career yeah i never expected him to ever even take snaps in the nfl so good for him <laughs> um but you know the steelers
1: that, too, that too play good. by the way was amazing right because i was like I was focusing on the first guy that was wide open. And then when they like reviewed, you know, they replayed like, Oh, you can't take that sack. And then it was like, look how mad KJ Hamler is standing in the back of the end zone with nobody within 10 yards of him. Like that was the second progression over here somewhere and, like, I, I don't know what he was doing, but dude, Drew Locke is going to be out for up to six weeks. We are stuck with Jeff Driscoll, at quarterback for Denver for up to six weeks. Maybe
0: they should, they might have to make a move. They might need to do something. I'm not saying he's great or good. I'm just saying the fact that he's uh, taking NFL snaps, I respect that. Okay, uh, Steelers continue. Look at Tyson Alualu with a with a potentially monster grade once they get finalized, and TJ Watt continuing his trajectory to uh, potential, you know, defensive player of the year status.
1: Yeah. I mean, he yeah, he had a good case last year, so if he can back that up, he's in the conversation. Um, but w- the takeaway from last week was or this week these the injuries how many people went down yeah this is a- the irony of 2020 right that coming into the season it's like wow well let's let's see how badly covid derails the nfl season apparently the nfl is going to sail straight through the covid storm without any problem but everybody is going to be hurt by the end of it well i think we got
0: acls and achilles and all kinds of stuff but i, I think we got through training camp pretty clean compared to previous years yeah. too, because remember we sat we, usually our august podcast we're like man this is sad we're not going to see this guy we're not going to see that guy we didn't have that nearly as much this year it's just kind of been pushed to the regular season because there, you know there's more live action now um so yeah the injury stuff is but it's i don't gonna be a, it's it's going to be attrition this year i mean what the
1: hell do i know but it doesn't feel like they're uh it doesn't feel like it's a response to no preseason and, and a weird training camp right like these aren't soft tissue
0: injuries where those... there are a bunch of hamstrings and
1: yeah, things yeah. Like so that those things there, maybe but... but like people aren't popping achilles and acls left and right because they didn't have four preseason games to warm up I like, get this you. is just weird um but the number of guys that are going down is
0: ridiculous uh big ben had an up and down game couple yeah, you know, turnover worthy plays in there nice touchdown to deontay johnson uh what do you make and then chase uh, the just an absolute dime to chase yeah. Claypool for the eighty-plus yard touchdown? Uh, that I described Claypool coming out of the draft as for the Steelers' current receiving core, a perfect number three, number four. Like he's just going to add a little vertical threat. Now he's been even better than I expected. He had the beautiful uh, catch on Monday Night Football, had that you know deep ball right there. He might be, he might be stealing. He might be what you wanted James Washington to be. For yeah,
1: and, and James Washington isn't like he hasn't disappeared either like he's made some plays I mean he that grown man drive into the end zone on, on Monday Night Football that was nice That was like, really nice suddenly the Steelers their ability to draft receivers is just nuts yeah like every single one of those guys looks like he actually adds some value to this team none of them was drafted ahead of the first round or in the first round like they're all lower round guys that everybody else had a chance at at least once um and they all they have this fascinating um, balance to the group, right? You've got Deontay Johnson, who's the Antonio Brown slick route runner. Um, you've got Chase Claypool, is that big vertical threat? You've got um, Juju Smith Schuster, who's the slot body, but also has some skills. And then James Washington, who's vertical, has got some strength, a little bit of a tweener between a, a couple of the different skill sets, but. They've got everything in that group, and all of them are young. All of them appear to be talented and capable of making some plays. And, you know, Ben Roethlisberger might not be all the way back to his best ever play, but, like, that's a receiving core he can work with and they can do damage with.
0: Yeah, we saw it on Monday night, and then even yesterday, like, there'll be some misses in there. Roethlisberger's accuracy was all over the place. Then he kind of settled down in his debut yesterday. Like I said, a couple of bad decisions in there. But the thing that gives the Steelers the high upside, I guess, as a team is that in any given week, first off, Ben's going to be aggressive. He's going to play to the strengths of those receivers and give them opportunities to make plays. I, and then they've got this defense that's at least capable. I think that makes them one of the biggest threats in the AFC. Yeah. To, to take on the Chiefs, to take on the Ravens, right? They've got this front seven that can rush the passer. The secondary has been a little up and down so far you know, through two weeks, but they're, they're solid, um, and they were outstanding last year. So I think the Steelers... You know, 2-0 and and one of the biggest threats. Again, context, right? They played the Giants. They played the Broncos with Jeff Driscoll. But I think that's also... They're playing... They're they're doing what I expected them to do, I think, this year with Big Ben back at the helm. So, let's move on to Jacksonville and Tennessee. Another one of those division games that just... You see it every year, twice. It doesn't look great on paper. Oh, great. Jaguars and Titans. What a game. You know, Minshew... Minshew is still not... You know... Tankable. Yeah. It, He's so, just going to keep them in so many games. Somebody
1: called us out on this, or us, me. Um, what would you do, man? Well, maybe not so much me. Me and Mike. You. My point is they didn't call you out because you weren't here. What right? did Mike do? So I, I can't remember who collectively, myself and Mike, were called out. You were not because you're innocent of this. I'm never called but out. But we made that point, right? That Minshew is untankable, and that was the narrative coming out of week one. Is it time to start giving him some more credit than that and say mm-hmm. – all right, how good can he actually be? Because we've been working on the basis that look, this guy is too good for you to tank and get the number one overall pick and get Trevor Lawrence, but not good enough to actually be of like any use to you as a franchise going forward, right? If he is your quarterback, you have a ceiling at which you need to have that twenty seventeen around him, otherwise you're not gonna win a Super Bowl. Is he better than that?
0: Yeah, I think I think he might be. I think it's just a matter of for me, it's just I need more I need more data. I just need more information. Because even his entire career, like he went from a nothing at East Carolina to really good at Washington State. Probably the best Washington State quarterback that Mike Leach trotted out there, the best season that we've seen from a Mike Leach quarterback since we started grading in 2014. Don't pull Connor Halliday. I, I see I can like I can read saying. Your eyes, you missed me so much just that saying. I know exactly what you're saying. Connor season Halliday, 2014, before Luke Falk took over. So last year, the most impressive thing about Minshew last year is is the fact that they had nothing around him. Yeah, and it was like, man you you helped develop DJ Chark, and I know I'm talking a lot about this quarterback and bringing receivers along, and that just that connection. But like when you have nothing on paper, like Jacksonville had last year, O line, receivers, and you play as well as Minshew did, and in the the things that I wrote in like my preseason QB article, where does he need to improve this year? Like, just don't take as many sacks and yeah. don't fumble late in the down. Like as far as throwing the ball, he was one of the best in the league throwing the ball ten plus yards down the field last year. Um, the the thing that you're saying about the ceiling is that like he just doesn't have a cannon. You know, like when you see Cam Newton and Mahomes and some of these guys that just have great arm talents and velocity and they could throw off platform and they could do all this stuff. It does give you like a bigger margin for error. But I think Minshew's made that work with anticipation, yeah. with pocket movement. I, I've been incredibly impressed with him.
1: Same. But the, the lack of a cannon, I don't think – so I, I originally thought that would be a ceiling or that would be the thing that caps his progress, right, is that ultimately – he has a limit to his physical tools, and that's the thing that's going to hold him down because it buys you, you have less margin for error, and yada, 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 right? But I don't know that that's actually what caps him right now. I think what caps him now is that point you made before, which is, you know, still holds on to it too long, gets himself into trouble, and causes some plays that he can't dig his way out of. Now, the problem with that is, stylistically, he also leans into that, and in a sort of Russell Wilson style of, and Deshaun Watson and Ryan Fitzpatrick and bit. those quarterbacks, right? He plays into that and gets himself out of a lot of problems by doing that, right? Like there was a play yesterday where he got himself in trouble, bounced around the pocket, reverse course, and like did that whole thing where you get yourself in trouble, start going in a circle in the pocket, then come out the back of the pocket, and you're like, oh, you're screwed now. Like, right. there's no way. And then he ends up looping all the way around and getting scrambles out for a first down, right? Now, in order for you to accept that that is a play that's okay to make or that is a good thing, you have to buy into a lot of negative that comes with that, right? Like most of the time where you do that, it's going to end up and badly. And where is the balance, right? With Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, yeah, well, certainly Russell Wilson there's an argument to be made about Deshaun Watson. You're definitely better off letting them do that, right? Because it, the net win is so is so great. Most quarterbacks, it's not Right, like Fitzpatrick, I think I don't know that it's a net win letting him do that, but it's it's him, right? So there's, there's no changing it now. But my point is, like that, letting accepting that that's what he does is not necessarily a good thing. It's just this is the guy. That's what you get when you have Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now with with the Jags, that's currently who Minshew is, but I don't know if it's a great thing that you want to be encouraging and leaning into because that I think at the moment for him is probably a net negative. And if you're going to bridge that gap between being good and, you know, encouraging and now we're excited for your upside to being really good and we can build around you and you're the franchise quarterback of the future, either he needs to change the balance of the the result of those plays and there's a lot more positives that come out of them than negatives or he needs to wean himself off the tendency to do that.
0: You know what weans you off of that? No. I think okay. he, what do you got a Jamar chase, you know, like another top receiver. You know what I mean? Think, so
1: like, but this is where you Those f- guys are just, I don't know
0: that a elite receiver changes that like those guys just, that's how they play because well, that's the tough part about quarterback analysis sometimes because it's like there's 40 plays in a game. So you're trying to describe a quarterback in 40, like you just described a handful of plays out of the 40 in a given sure. game. Right. So you say like, like we talked about Jimmy Garoppolo last year. Quick release and good decision maker. Other than those two, other than those three, yeah. so I think that's where that's where supporting cast comes in. If you had another receiver, a Jamar Chase. If they added a Jerry Judy. If they added a guy that's going to get open quickly, and you just steal some of those late plays by just another open receiver within structure. That's what I think makes Minshew scary. You have D J Chark, who's a nice deep thread, and you've got Tyler Eifert still stumbling out there, and he's throwing these nice seam routes to him for touchdowns and all that. But, man, if you gave him another receiver that he's never had, what's Minshew going to do? I mean, I guess, yeah, stylistically we have evidence of that
1: this year in terms of Deshaun Watson, right? Like, he had new Hopkins, and now you take that away, and suddenly everything that he was already doing looks like a bigger problem because there's no nuke. Yeah. And he doesn't have the safety blanket, and he actually has to find the open guy, and suddenly he's
0: a lot less efficient doing that because he doesn't have that yeah. safety blanket. So that's where, bottom line for the Jaguars, like, I would rather have Trevor Lawrence... But we talk we, well, every week. That's not on the table anymore. Like, Jared I mean, Lawrence is not happy. I'm just saying, if we were, that's what people were with looking Minshew. at coming into the season, yeah. right? But I think you have to look at Minshew over the last year plus and say, with a depleted roster, he's looked very impressive. What happens if he did have a better supporting cast built around him? Uh, on the other side, this was like 2019 Titans. Yeah. Tannehill's just not missing. Jonu Smith's great in plays. Corey Davis catching touchdowns. Adam Humphreys. Some of those. That Tannehill to Adam Humphreys touchdown. Under pressure. Arm getting hit. Puts it on point in the end zone. Just incredible.
1: Can I tell you what I thought was the most impressive part about that play? The throw was great. But did you see the replay where Humphreys is running across the field knowing that he's about to be target. Has the presence of mind to take his eyes off the ball that I'm pretty sure is already in the air at this point look into the end zone to figure out where the defensive backs are and what's going to hit him as this you know, as this car crash converges around him, looks right. back to find the ball, catches it, and spins away from the contact that's coming into him because he now knows it's coming and completes the catch. Like, I don't know that you would ever coach a guy to take his eye off the ball in the air, and I certainly would never do it. But the fact that he did that to establish where all the – like moving pieces were still got his eyes back to make the catch. And because he got the extra bit of information was able to sort of brace for contact in a way that I don't think he would have done. Otherwise was really kind of impressive.
0: Yeah, that was dude. That's NFL players do some, do some crazy things, right? That was, that was, that was impressive. The Titans, do we put their stuff into context too? Broncos and Jaguars were their two teams. As much as we're talking about Minshew, the Jags are still, they're, they're two Phillip Rivers bad decisions away from looking at that defense and saying they've given up a lot.
1: Well, so, yeah, Titans are interesting to me through two weeks because all through the offseason it was, well, they're going to run it back, right? They, everything they did was basically just reset and go again, right? And my point all off season was that feels like a bad way of doing it because what they did last year seemed incredibly unsustainable. Now, some of that has come true, but some of it looks like it actually is gonna roll run itself back. The Tannehill thing, so that the argument was always Tannehill's gonna take a massive step or gonna take a step back next year. The question is how far, right? You've got elite best quarterback in the NFL, Ryan Tannehill that we saw for like nine weeks, and then you've got, you know, Miami Tannehill, wherever that fuzzy line is. Now, where in that sort of spectrum is he gonna land? So far, he's been a hell of a lot closer to Tannehill from last year than he has Miami Tannehill, which I didn't think I expected. Like, I mean, I, if I was picking a spot between those two places, I would have probably plumbed for, like, equidistant in the middle, right? Right. He's, he's probably going to split the difference. He So far, he really hasn't. Like, he's been a hell of a lot closer to last year's Tennessee Tannehill, which makes him, like, a top-five quarterback in the NFL. That That's significant. Like, Tannehill goes from being – all right, he's a nice quarterback, and he's better than your, your other options, and he's an upgrade over Mariota, to this is a guy that can drive this team somewhere that they probably shouldn't be otherwise. Um, and then the other thing is I, teams at least through two weeks have figured out what to do about Derrick Henry.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, like game flow-wise, this is what Tennessee wanted, right? Derrick Henry had 25 carries, and Tannehill had 24 attempts. Now he averaged ten yards per attempt, and Henry averaged three point four per carry and I get it you know people are you know, there's dependency and uh you know they're you know they pick their spots when they're going to pass they use play action and all that stuff, but that also puts pressure on the quarterback right you if you only have twenty four attempts to make them all legit um uh, but yeah henry three point four yards per carry yesterday, long of fourteen yards
1: yeah, and against Denver. I think they put down something of a blueprint, which is, look, if you're trying to stop him running straight at you with a head of steam, forget about it. The dude weighs 50 pounds more than defensive backs. He's got a stiff arm from hell. You're, you're dead. But if you can get him running sideways, even if he's like slapping guys down in sequence, right? Yeah. And there's just a, a trail of defenders in his wake. As long as he doesn't get around you and get a chance to turn the corner, you've got something to work with. And so, so far, we're seeing him like still rack up reasonable yardage. Almost all of it is still after contact. Like he's still getting a ton of yards after contact, but he's not getting around the edge and getting that forward progress, which is what he was doing last year. And I think the blocking is is part of that, but also like defenses have started to understand what to do about this guy.
0: Good observation. I'm gonna break I'm gonna go check out the film on that. I'm gonna watch rewatch all of his carries and uh take a look at that. Tennessee moves to two and they but, are Legit,
1: Jacksonville. James Robinson is ruining my my take that the best running back on that roster
0: is Miles Jackson.
1: No, Robinson's looking pretty good. Damn it!
0: You've had that. T- you you don't come off a whole lot of takes.
1: Well, I, I I mean, I was okay with that being the take when Fournette was there, but when true. he was when he left, it's
0: definitely It was definitely it's true. It's been your take for five years, though. Yeah, because you didn't like. I'm Miles still Jackson not ready enough. to
1: give up on the Kenyon Drake is better than Derrick Henry thing. Oh, jeez. Dating back to like what senior
0: season in Alabama, Los Angeles Rams. And the Philadelphia Eagles, man. Let's, do you want to credit the Rams or just start questioning <laughs> the, just the Eagles' existence right now?
1: Well, again, like this is. Let's this, start.
0: Let's start with the Rams.
1: What's really interesting about the NFL, I think, is so we start off and it's it's preseason, it's prediction time, and everyone like lambasts your predictions because well, look, last season this happened, so of course you're an idiot, right? Like, I'm, I'm, we're like 10 days away from everybody in the Bay Area tearing into me because I said the Seahawks were going to win that division, not the 49ers. And I was like, morons. This is a team that went to the Super Bowl. Seahawks have Russell Wilson, nothing else, right? Now, through two weeks, it suddenly looks like, you know, completely different. So the first lesson is, like, we know nothing before the season, right? You're, you're in the dark. Even if you ran everything back, it wouldn't repeat. Like, we don't have a clue what's going to happen in the upcoming season. We're just right. making best guesses. And then it's a case of through two – like the early part of the season is trying to figure out how much of what you're seeing is actually what's going on and how much of it is like external factors weighing in on it, right? And then the other thing is how quickly can you actually readjust your prior takes, right? And and so it's identifying what actually needs to adjust and then forcing yourself to actually make that adjustment, right? So for the Rams, I think that's a big part of it is is the Rams – I think are clearly better than we thought they were going to be heading into the season. But you've got the two-part process now of identifying how much of that is actually true and how much of it is Dallas aren't as good as we thought they were. Philadelphia certainly aren't great right now. And then how quickly can you
0: actually adjust your expectations going forward? All right, so no, no matter what you would have predicted going into the season, there's no way, there's nobody that would have predicted that sitting here two weeks in, it's only two weeks, And you just go to PFF's throw-by-throw accuracy, which we can do, which you guys can't yet, sorry. And you see Carson Wentz at the very bottom. Carson Wentz with the highest percentage of uncatchable passes and, you know, distant cousin of that is just how many accurate passes. How many have you put up, right? By far the lowest in the league, Carson Wentz. So... I mean, we talked I, I always mentioned Carson Wentz. Like, he's not as good as that 2017 MVP season. He's somewhere in between. He's mid-tier. He's going to fluctuate up and down. I don't think anybody's going to predict that. I mean, bottom line, that's the issue for the Eagles: bad decisions by uh, by Carson Wentz, and his accuracy is all over the place. Like, if he just hits a couple more throws in Week One against Washington, okay, they they win that game probably. I know he's under pressure and all that stuff, but I think that's that's when you talk about predictions. Like, who's predicting that? type of regression from Carson Wentz looking horrible through two weeks
1: yeah I mean that's certainly their problem on offense the problem is the defense was just as bad (laughs) like
0: um no I know defense as well
1: this is also one of those interesting games where game flow got away from them pretty quickly like Miles Sanders puts the ball in the dirt um the the Rams like immediately take the short field put up a touchdown like very quickly this game got in a hole which changes everything right like suddenly you're well, it was a 21-3 down. You're trying to get your way out of this, this mess, and you don't get all the way back. But, like, it's, it's interesting how quickly games can, like, change things and get away from the quarterback. But the, the concerning part for the Eagles in this game is, like, they had Lane Johnson back at right tackle. Wentz wasn't under pressure that much. Like, this was, yeah. not, this was not a game where you look at it and you say, wow, they, they just destroyed him up front. They had no shot. Wentz was under duress all game long. Forget about it. Like he had a reasonable platform to work for
0: and still. Aaron Donald just did laid, not play an egg. Aaron Donald didn't play like Aaron Donald. Like right. he wasn't in the backfield. Um, I think the Rams, though, are doing just a really good job. I mean, they, it's you watch some offenses and it feels like, okay, they're just they're just super focused. They're they're just they're on point. I and mean, that was like early early McVeigh, right? Where it was just like, man, he's making all, he's dialing up the right calls. They're just on. They're doing a good job of moving the pocket. They're protecting Goff. They went back to it again. You know, opening night was, you know, rollouts and screens, and they're doing that again. Another touchdown on a rollout for Goff. He has played just a clean brand of football, the opposite of Wentz. Goff has one of the lowest percentage of uncatchable passes. They are scheming it up well for him. He's executing. uh, And then the Eagles. On the other side of it, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm very disappointed in the Eagles' performance so far. It starts with Wentz, but again, you, to your point, it was Week One. It felt like it was pressure. Defense has been not great either week. Um, man, I'm not going to give up on them because I still think they're talented. But this is, if you add in last year too, it's a rough stretch for Wentz. He was one of our lowest graded quarterbacks. After all, they lost all their playmakers. He was one of our lowest graded quarterbacks in the second half last season. Right. And then you carry that into this year. Like, this is a concerning stretch. And it goes back to my point. They're in year five now, four, right? The the class of 2000, year five, the class of 2016. You don't just get better every year. If they did, Carson Wentz would be the best quarterback of all time because year two, he was an MVP candidate. So there are ebbs and flows to these guys. And now Goff is moving back up and Wentz is moving back down.
1: Yeah, I mean, Goff is is an interesting quarterback because he is, like, when that offense is singing – he isn't just there as a passenger like he actually adds a ton of value on top of, right. of what they're doing. but when that offense falls to pieces and it's not in rhythm and it's a mess like he just collapses he looks like garbage. Um, so they this is McVeigh has shown the evolution of that system right the thing that was a concern for a while that there's no 2.0 and teams have started to figure it out uh, mcVeigh is it's evolved it's come on they're doing different things. Um, they're causing different problems for defenses, and it's working. And a huge part of that is the offensive line is able to keep its head above water again, um, which is going to help. But when that happens, Goff isn't like isn't just this sort of extra that that facilitates everything. He actually adds value on top of those, makes some plays, drops some uh, beautiful dimes in there. Uh, so the Rams, like they go back to being like a serious
0: threat in that in that division. That's looking like. The best division in the NFL. So that's the bottom line with the Rams, right? So coming into the year, here's the thing, right? They, we gave them the number 31 offensive line in the league yeah. last year, right? Coming off of being ranked top 10. So it was like the Tannehill thing, right? You have to expect at least something in between, but there's also the talent there, especially at the tackles, some developing interior players that the Rams would be able to at least solve that or, you know, help that issue from last year. And they have. Um, Then you have Daryl Henderson stepping up, looking like the player that people hoped for, coming out of Memphis, 81 yards on 12 carries. We saw a 40-yard gain, uh, saw a 28-yard reception. So they've got some... That was the other... My big question was the offensive line and kind of replacing that deep threat in Brandon Cooks and then just figuring it out on the back end with losing Corey. There was just a lot of guys to, to lose, that they were losing. And so far... Handling things pretty well.
1: Yeah, and the offensive line taking a big step forward makes the running game sing again, you know, back to like Todd Gurley went as that offensive line went. The same thing is true with everybody else that's run behind it. Like, you know, um CJ Anderson looked fantastic when he came in off his couch, right? And the guy's right. retired now. Like the same thing is true. Those guys all look good when that offensive line is playing well. Now, they got banged up yesterday. Again, like the casualty of the twenty twenty week two just they lost a lot of bodies, so that's a concern. But, um, yeah, like this, the Rams are held a lot better. The Eagles, I think, are in trouble, but their division is going to help them out, right? I know Dallas snuck a, a win yesterday, but, like, that's not a division where someone's going to run away with it. So they have a lot of margin for error to get their shit together over the first half of the season without being, you know, six games behind the lead and, and have no shot of making a, a wild card
0: spot. One team with little margin of error for error. San Francisco 49ers staying in that NFC West. And the New York Jets. No margin for error for either of them. Uh, Jets might be on their way to Trevor Lawrence. Yes. They're not looking good at all. 49ers bounced back, though, again, the injury bug struck them as well.
1: Oh, they I mean, it didn't just strike them. It took a hammer to that roster. Like Nick Bosa went down with, I think, an ACL. Uh, Solomon Thomas, they lost running backs. They lost, they've already lost. Like They're still without half their receiving core. Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. banged up that is rough I mean the obviously the Nick Bosa thing is a body blow like that guy going down one of the best pass rushers in the NFL we saw the kind of transformative effect he can have individually on the defense a season ago you take that away that's a massive massive problem
0: yeah I think so at the end of the day I think you know Garoppolo played a clean efficient game uh, we're gonna have Darnold playing a little bit better than maybe the stats would show and I think you know going back to coming into the year what would the you know what were the Jets going to be able to do offensively? Deplete, an already questionable receiving core is depleted with Braxton Berrios and Chris Hogan and Josh Malone out there getting the majority of the targets. So there's really not much. I don't think there's much you can do if you're the Jets going up against the, a pretty good 49ers team.
1: They're in such a tough spot because all the reasons for optimism around Sam Darnold are still there. But you cannot, how can you judge him based off what's around him right
0: now? It is the complete opposite of what Josh Allen has in Buffalo. Right. Um, they'll always be somewhat compared coming out of the same draft class, just like Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson and Josh Rosen. Um, but as Buffalo has added weapons and offensive line talent and all that stuff, the Jets have gotten worse.
1: I mean, Rosen... The same thing's true with Rosen. Like that guy's career is over because he had no shot, right? He yeah. had the worst possible situation around him to start his career, right? In two different spots. And his career is basically now over. Like the dude's sitting on a practice squad now with the entire league having given up on him. Darnold, at least, is still getting a shot to play, but he's dealing with basically the same thing, which is the team around him is not capable of showing, it's not capable of allowing him to show that he's the future. So, he like, he played pretty well yesterday, I thought. But I think dude's thrown to Braxton Berrios. And, like, his only viable receiver in Brashad Perriman got hurt. And now he's throwing to nobody. Like, you can't – how are you supposed to – and the Jets are probably going to be bad enough to be in that number one overall pick spot. Is he just immediately drop kicked out of the door because you have a shot at Trevor Lawrence?
0: So, again, this is what I think is just fascinating about the NFL right now. You know, Sam Darnold in the right situation – could be a viable quarterback but I think you need to look for more than just viable you want to look for more than just a viable quarterback you want to look for a potential top 10 quarterback what if he so, could actually
1: be a good quarterback
0: it, he, he could be good shot. well I think my point is if they have a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields opportunity at the end of the year there might be a little bit of Darnold value so those six or eight teams that are looking for quarterbacks at the end of the year might want to invest in Sam Darnold. That yeah. there's a there's a possibility there.
1: The problem with that is he's just shown that like he he's just shown that if you put him in a bad situation it's not going to go well, right? So what you actually for his point of view, you you basically say, "All right, the end of the year, they get Trevor Lawrence, I'm now trade bait. My best bet is to go to a team that has an established starter isn't terrible and hope that something happens and yeah. I get a shot somewhere, right? Like a Minnesota Vikings with a Kirk Cousins maybe." Like if they piece things back together and they're sort of okay, it's like right. We go to be Kirk Cousins' backup. That's an interesting... We hope that so he gets hurt, or they finally get sick of you know him being him. And it's I fascinating up there.
0: It's fascinating that we're at that point, right? I mean, Josh Rosen's doing that in Tampa Bay, right? Like yeah. he's just sitting on the practice squad. We are at this point where I think there are some some good, not like failed first round. Darnold, if he has a an okay season i don't think he's a failed first round
1: well he's on his way to failing but it's not his fault
0: yes there but there's still like there's still enough of a question mark it's not like a legitimate like with blaine gabbert there was never really a question if fail in the right system is he going to be okay there's still going to be questions about sam Darnold at the end of the year hey guys this season get football on your time with nfl game pass you can catch every snap from every game with full game replays see all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can rel- relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and the breakout stars from every single game, every week. This is what we use, Sam, to watch all of the action. It's NFL Game Pass. All the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. Of course, you're the perfect audience who would love NFL Game Pass. It's what we use to replay the games all week long. You'll also learn from the league's best players With over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes, go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire awesome NFL Films archive. Go to nfl.com slash game pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops help support your local businesses. Whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops, local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. They remember your order and call you by name, always giving back, making a difference and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. Next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose to shop at local businesses. And while you're there, look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless Visa to help support your community, because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. Shop local with Visa to help support your community, because where you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Uh, Carolina Panthers at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, This one looked like it was going to be a blowout early on. Uh, Tampa Bay kind of let the Panthers back in. Panthers did a nice job battling back in. Once again, context-wise, the Bucs now through two weeks have played maybe the best team in the NFL in the Saints, and then one of the worst teams in the NFL in the Carolina Panthers. Um, for the second straight week, Tom Brady is going to grade way better I was than say. his yeah, stats. Yeah, in,
1: in both games, most of Brady's best throws were not
0: caught by his receivers. This was actually ridiculous. It was he unbelievable.
1: Had two touchdowns that weren't caught, right. um, and one... Everyone was saying three, but the one that beamed his receiver in the face, he was leading him out of bounds. Like, there's no way that guy was catching it and staying in bounds and going down the oh, sideline for
0: the touchdown. Was... But it was wide the hell open for a big gain down the oh, field. Oh, it was going to be a big gain. I mean, he, yeah, just, yeah. he hit him in the helmet. It should have been caught, at least. Right. A...
1: But I'm saying that, that, like, everyone's saying that's a third touchdown because he was so open, but I don't think there's any way that guy's catching it, staying in bounds, and going down
0: to score. Like, he's going to get a big gain and go out of bounds there. But I don't, I don't two think. Two touchdowns he... dropped. Yes, and and in, in week one again, a lot of his he had some pretty decent big time throws that just didn't show up in the in the stat sheet. So um, I, the talk shows probably aren't talking about Tom Brady today because they won and it was against the Panthers and who cares? Um, but if they were looking at the stat line and calling Brady washed again, like he was, tw- he had uh, twelve incompletions, seven of which were dropped. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, a few drops away from being thirty for thirty-five yesterday. Again, Panthers defense not great, but I thought Brady. I thought Brady looked fantastic yesterday, better than he did in week one, other than the one interception that he sailed uh, to Gronkowski. So,
1: His completion percent jumps 20 percentage points if you adjust for drops. Yeah. Like, he goes from a... Completely st- different narrative. Yeah. The other thing, so this is the fascinating thing to me, is this... Last week, it was... All right, Brady... The biggest concern to me was not that they lost, not that Brady threw the ugly pick six or threw two interceptions overall. It was... This mesh between Brady and Arians yep. doesn't look great right now, right? And what was – I I always wondered why the immediate thing with these guys is, well, look, you don't have time for him to like – for you to figure out what this offense looks like. And year two, it's an amazing connection. You get 2015 Carson Palmer season out of it, right? Brady is 52 years old. He's not going to like – you don't have a multi-year strategy here. Right. He needs to be good right now so you can win a Super Bowl. At which point, why don't you do what Denver did with Peyton Manning and say, all right, Peyton, tell us what the offense is. Like, I'm not teaching you what to do after 15 years of being amazing at what you do. Just tell us what you were running, and we'll figure it out, right? Why, why wasn't Tampa Bay's first
0: approach to just say, all right, Tom, what's the offense? Tell us how to run it. See, I don't think it's that clean, though. But
1: this is – week two looked a lot more like that.
0: It did. So there was a lot more, you know, like – empty, you know. A little bit more play action, uh, empty on early downs and stuff like that. I think there's a hybrid to be had. A there lot just
1: shallower depth of target. Like this looked a lot more like Patriots Brady offense, and it did
0: look like Arians offense. But they also don't have the personnel to have a yak centric. Not that they were, but like to just to have those yak centric plays. Like they're throwing design screens to Leonard Fournette, and I know he had the the big run at the end and all that stuff. They're throwing design swings to Leonard Fournette where he's. Running in quicksand. Like they've got no shot. The Sean McCoy doesn't catch the ball well out of the backfield. He had one of the drops in the end zone. Like they don't have the backs to run that offense. They don't have the middle of the field players, the slot receivers, or tight ends to really. I mean, the tight ends can do it. They don't have the slot receivers to do it. Um, so I think they have, you know, adjusted a little bit. They put Mike Evans in the slot for a seam route and all that stuff. I think bottom line, Brady threw the ball well. I think we're going to see more chunk play opportunities in this offense for it to move forward. They need to figure out what the short area stuff looks like, right? Because Brady would like to have some of those gimmies and some of those easier passes where he could get into a rhythm and use his accuracy and all that stuff. I just don't know if they have the personnel for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the good part about that is I think that's easier to find than the personnel for the opposite. Like, we know they have the personnel for the deep game and for a a higher – um, a, a bigger or lower percentage, but bigger threat chunk plays. I think the yak stuff is kind of easier to find. What are you doing? You're moving the whole I table. pulled
0: myself forward, I moved the table. Did I, I ruin the shot? Probably.
1: Probably. Um, so, I, I mean, I to me, it's a good thing that they went, they showed potentially that they're going away from like pure Bruce Arians offense to something more approximating what brady's been used to for the past 20 years
0: for sure and and they did it without chris godwin so i think they're right i think they're going to be okay offensively and i just encourage people to check out the pff grades rather than the stats because brady's actually thrown the ball really well the last the first two weeks other than uh the pick six uh teddy bridgewater it was he actually he had a, a solid game too had a couple bad uh decisions in there too but um you know, I think the Panthers are just fighting an uphill battle here this season, yeah. especially defensively. Tampa Bay's defense is legit as well, still. I mean, kind of Yeah, bad, right? they kind of impressed me against the, you know, they gave a little bit up against the Saints and all that, but they they fly around and they're uh there's a little boom or bust to that defense, right? And sure. I think and again, when you're talking about the the Bucks from a long-term standpoint, the schedule gets they're going to have a they have a rough stretch early, the schedule gets a little softer down the stretch. The Bucks might be one of those teams that's peaking and like looking dangerous in December and they just have that high upside type of defense where they can make a run. I think that's the bottom line for the Bucks right now. Where are we going next? New York Giants at Chicago. Giants at the Bears. Mitchell Trubisky versus Daniel Jones. I thought the Bears, Bears defense did a pretty nice job early on. I mean, you know, they, they did a nice job overall. They were playing some tight man coverage, making life difficult on Daniel Jones. I thought, again, I was impressed with Daniel Jones. Again, we're talking about, we're trying to separate quarterbacks from their... Ecosystem.
1: right? I was less impressed, and I I was actually pretty impressed by Jones in Week One, given what the Steelers threw at him.
0: I was less, definitely less impressed. <clears throat> His issue is a lot like the Minshew stuff. It's the late in the down. Like there's here's yeah. this double pump, and right. we're going to fumble. There's this double pump, we're going to throw it late into coverage. Um, I thought the Bears actually made it a little bit easier for him as they started to play a little bit more zone and uh, opened up some passing lanes. But Jones again is not working. With the greatest. Yeah, I
1: mean, he's behind the eight ball, but so I screwed this game up in terms of predictions because I was really impressed by Jones week one. I thought he'd have significantly more success given that Chicago is not Pittsburgh in week two, and we'd see the battle of the better quarterback essentially win out, and Jones leads the team to win. Didn't happen. Jones looked worse in week one. The Bears' defense may be as good as Pittsburgh's. And more importantly, is Trubisky actually turning a corner? Like this is two weeks now yeah. again. So in this world of context, through two weeks, the Giants' defense is bad. Um, and,
0: and the Lions' defense is bad, right?
1: Uh, particularly in Week One when they didn't have Jeffrey Akuda and you know they were dealing with defensive backs that they didn't that they shouldn't be playing, right? So two pretty bad defenses, but it is a significant and notable step forward in performance from Trubisky from a year ago, right? He I, was heading in the wrong direction, and this is really interesting because. Everybody was focusing on the Lions heading into the season as like an underdog dark horse pick. The Chicago Bears are light years better than people think they are if Trubisky is anything north of garbage.
0: I thought he looked confident. This might be the best. I don't want to overrate this whole thing. 2018 was an overrated year for Trubisky. Lucky things happened. He made some big plays and all that stuff. We talked about that enough. Enough. I thought yesterday, I think he looks like he's got a little bit more zip in his arm. I think he's just playing with confidence. Tight window throws. The way he's maneuvering the pocket. It's not as, you know, last year it felt a little bit more panicked when he's getting out of the pocket, right? And he's not getting out of the pocket to make plays at the right time. I thought yesterday was a lot cleaner. He had that nice touchdown to David Montgomery where he rolled out and, you know, put it on. It was easy pass, but I'm just saying, I just think he's playing the game and seeing it a little bit better. Now, all that said... He's still missing more throws than most quarterbacks in the league. Like it's still not great, but it's well, That's the thing it is. Tight isn't... window throws and some of the confident plays, I've been impressed with they don't need him
1: to be great. That's what makes yeah. the Bears really interesting. Like they were a team the problem with Trubisky is that he became so bad that he was crippling to everything, right? Like the Matt Nagy stripped down that offense and tried to make it idiot proof and he was still like he was still too big an idiot for the idiot-proof offense. Like, he, they couldn't make the offense idiot-proof enough that the idiot they had a year ago was functioning in it. This year, Trubisky's different. Like, he is, I mean, again, two weeks, who knows? But so far, he has been viable. And if they get a viable quarterback, this is a
0: good team. This is set up for, the Bears schedule is set up for a classic Trubisky coaster right now. You get the Falcons next week who can't stop anybody. Right. Then you have the Colts, who are solid? That's going to be a tough game. You get the Bucks, who we just talked about. That's going to be a tough game. Then you get the Panthers. Get a nice one against the Panthers to kind of bounce back, help, you know, keep your job. Then you get the Rams, another tough team, and then the Saints. Another. T- I mean, this mm-hmm. is good. Like every single week, we're going to have some ebbs and flows here. I think with Trubisky, but again, coming out of yesterday, I was impressed.
1: I, I just think it's like we wrote off Trubisky as completely non-viable last season. Um, uh, the evidence from last season I think that was entirely fair the idea that you know he was a starter heading into this year I think is kind of crazy but so far this has been a different player like he's not great and he's not he's not even good but he's playing at a level that makes this team viable and therefore like this was we talked before this is a team that like had talent and the The problem with Trubisky is he was invalidating all of it, but he's actually playing at a level now where the the rest of the roster can look as good
0: as it is. Our old friend Lauren Cox put a uh, viral video together last week. Allen Robinson. save Allen Robinson and all that stuff. I have to say, Allen Robinson made Mitchell look bad yesterday.
1: Yeah, I, my brain is not able to compute the idea that Trubisky is being let down by his receivers at the moment. There was, that's
0: actually what's happening. There was a, in one of his interceptions, the tipped interception, more on the receiver. You know, dig route, he's got to lead him. The receiver stopped a little bit, uh, slightly underthrown ball up, you know, up the sideline that should have just been incomplete or potentially complete, ends up intercepted. Yeah, he had some. Trubisky actually had some bad luck. I kind of like the way the like, when Allen Robinson's still awesome. But Darnell Mooney, speedy guy, rookie out of Tulane. Uh, Anthony Miller let Trubisky down too. He right. they ran that pick route and he mm-hmm. had a dropped uh, touchdown in the end, end zone. Um, so Javon Wims has played pretty well. Like as far as like skill sets and guys able to get open, assuming they catch the ball, it is an intriguing group again, much like it was in 2018, which I think could make the Bears dangerous. Do you know when we made our predictions? I spent three seconds trying to have like a bold take. On who's going to have the first overall pick. I made an idiot take, Sam. Oh, yeah? I picked the Bears. Hmm. Out of nowhere. Yeah. I spent two great. seconds thinking about it. I was like, just Bears? Well, I was looking at what everybody else picked, and everybody went Jaguars and Jets. Yeah. I so I decided Jets. to be different. You picked the Jets? Yeah. You're looking good. Yeah, so You're, far. You are looking good so far. You might have it. So how about them Bears at 2-0? and Atlanta Falcons at the Dallas Cowboys. Let's try to not talk about this game for an hour. But what a just ridiculous ridiculous game i I, atlanta atlanta's back seven coming into the season we were wondering about their back seven can they stop anybody no they can't yes but they were up 20 to nothing 29 to 10 and then they had a 15 point lead in the fourth quarter and still managed to blow it
1: can we just distill it down to what in god's name were the special teams the hands team doing as they watched the ball turn was, right and roll 5 yards into where it
0: needed to be. I call that one the hypnotizer. There's three they people. were hypnotized There were by the three
1: ball. separate falcons just watching this thing turn towards the line that it needed to cross and like do nothing. Like you can touch it before it goes over that line. You don't have to wait for it to go 10 yards. The the Cowboys have to wait for it to go 10 yards. You can pick it up whenever you want. Yeah. Jump on it, They're hypnotized. It was amazing. And so everyone's like Going crazy about, oh what a great kick that is like it 's not if any one of three separate falcons just fall on the ball five yards ahead of where it needed to go they it 's a terrible kick and you 're like but what it's kind spinning of awful thing and
0: you're like, the ball you don 't know which, which, which way the ball's going to bounce you 're
1: a two hundred and fifty pound man it 's a small football just throw
0: yourself on top of it uh, from a <laughs> that was that was bad the Falcons found a way to absolutely blow that game you also yeah Russell Gage throws a dime to Julio <laughs> Jones who drops it I mean the the Falcons receivers have been putting corners in a blender a uh, Calvin Ridley's route running outstanding
1: I'm so glad the that they got weeks. Gage a touchdown like a receiving touchdown yeah. to offset the fact that Julio
0: dropped his his deep bomb yeah uh, this here's the ridiculous thing the Cowboys lost three fumbles in the first half Zeke Dak losing fumbles it was ridiculous tony pollard had a fumble that should have been like that almost was i mean it was insane how they were just handing the ball over the falcons were scoring coming out of that they did score field goals instead of touchdowns a couple times um i think one of my takeaways though from the first two weeks i had concerns about both of these teams in the back seven coverage wise atlanta absolutely they've been torched by russell wilson now by Dak and the cowboys and then you know cowboys with trevon diggs chita bayouzier jordan lewis they were always this, like, they felt like this dead smack in the middle, mid-tier group of corners that could go either way, and I think they're going the wrong way. Diggs has got his hands to, like, three footballs so far, though, and hasn't yeah. come up with any of them. Like, oh, Ryan, is... Ryan's stat line looks ridiculous. He could have easily had three kicks.
1: Yeah, like, Trafon Diggs in particular, though, is has been inches away from making, like, three pretty damn big plays in terms of turnovers and just hasn't snagged them yet. Um that's kind of encouraging. By the way, did you also see the play where Zeke Elliott just just crucified uh Casey on in the goal on the goal line? Like it's the classic play where you get the one on one encounter in the hole, you know, basically just Oklahoma drill, who wants it more. This is a head on collision, it's a car crash. And you get to see that, you know what, running backs might not matter all that much, but there's every now and again you're gonna find a play where it's you versus me And you're just better at that than I am. And Casey's not a bad player and he just got like his soul was (laughs)
0: removed from his body by a head on collision with Zeke Elliott. I mean, all things equal, I'd rather have a good running back. You know, I'd rather have a guy that, you know, makes some plays. I, I just think, you know, Dallas's offense, Dallas is doing a lot of things that are gonna pan out in the end. In week one, we didn't get I didn't get to talk about it, but Mike McCarthy goes for it on fourth down, right decision. And gets absolutely crushed for it. What were they doing yesterday?
1: These are fake punts.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, the fake. Well, that was it. they had all the fumbles plus the fake punt, just poorly executed. But
1: yeah, this is the thing, right? This, this, with the discussion on going for it on fourth down gets conflated with a bunch of different things, right? Going for it on fourth down is the right decision way more often than it's actually taken, right? But it's not the end of the conversation. Once you've decided to go for it on fourth down, you now need to decide how you're going for it. And that's where teams seem to have struggled. Go for it. Just go for it better. And when you're going for it, go for it with your offense, the players that are supposed to be throwing the ball, not the punter. If you're going to run a fake punt, at the very minimum, you should check that the punter is capable of throwing the ball to the gunner 15 yards away over there, well, which apparently the wasn't.
0: disappointment... Apparently they executed it in practice. He was disappointed in the bad throw coming from the pocket. I would be as well on the basis that my
1: six-year-old could make that throw.
0: I'm more t- I, I like some of the other stuff. I, Six, I think seven. the offense, the offense started to look e- explosive as expected. Again, Falcons secondary, their safeties were absolutely brutal yesterday. But you have Amari Cooper. You had C.D. Lamb averaging almost ten yards after the catch per reception. Getting the, getting him the ball in the flat, getting him the ball over the middle of the field. Michael Gallup. Uh, Dalton Schultz is even catching passes but then you got Dak using the QB sneak on the goal line he ran for three touchdowns including a keeper um, they go for it down nine they go for two right that was one you know, the, the announcers are always their mind is boggled why right. would you do that uh, you always just kick it and then you get the two point conversion later says, but that decision is what led you do it as early as possible so that you know a, so a two point conversion that right. fails doesn't just end the game yeah so they failed early, they knew they were chasing two scores and they got to they, their game flow changed which led to the onside kick which led to the hypnotizer which led to the you know, so those <laughs> those are the decisions that add up. So even though Mike McCarthy oh, yeah. did not make did not the decision didn't pan out in week 1, these things are going to add up over time. And that's part of the reason why, reason why I like the Cowboys though. I it, Look, the Falcons have made the Seahawks look bad defensively and the Cowboys look bad Coverage wise, you need
1: to put that in an email to John Fossil. I bet you can get that thing named the uh, the hypnotizer. The hypnotizer, yeah. You send him off an email. We've got contacts. Send him. We can get we
0: can get in touch with John. Can we
1: get John Fossil on the phone here? I'm just saying, you put that in an email and say, "Hey, John, great play, loved it." The hypnotizer. Nothing to do with the. I, I just
0: appreciate that with this new onside onside kick rule. Instead of sulking, kickers went back to the drawing board and they used the 23 hours a day that they have a free time to figure out new ways for onside kicks.
1: Well, yeah, except most of them haven't. The ironic thing about this is <laughs> the only guy that's actually figured out the new way you should be kicking the onside kicks is Yongwei Ku for the Falcons, right? That guy's actually identified the correct technique for today's our onside kick rules. The, the Dallas guy just did a weird kick, and it happened to work. because three guys just stared at it as it went five yards in the wrong direction. It's hypnotizer. The hypnotizer.
0: So Dallas, I mean, this was uh, last year. I thought that Atlanta in week two salvaged their season. They made a couple of big fourth down decisions. They, they won a game against Philadelphia. They ended up being terrible the rest of the year, but I think <laughs> Dallas had a chance. They really, you, the NFC East isn't great, but did this salvage their season? A game that they absolutely should not have won. Like if they, they scored 40 points while having failed, you know, fake punts and losing three fumbles, they could have scored 60 if they just bad. held onto the ball. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
1: they're kind of in the same situation as the Eagles, right, which I think this division is just going to be a bunch of people stumbling towards the finish line. So no amount of, like, being bad up front would have precluded them from making the postseason even as division winners. But, like, this was a team that we – this is a team that's in a lot of people's Super Bowl conversations preseason. Like, stumbling to the postseason is not a success for this team, right? They fired Jason Garrett because – Like, that wasn't good enough, right? You actually, this team's supposed to be contending for a Super Bowl. So they need to be better than that. And this, yeah, I mean, this salvaged that, right? This salvaged the idea that this team can be a contender and actually go somewhere as opposed to
0: just being the last guy standing. Dak is throwing the ball really well right now. Uh, Atlanta may have lost their season down to 0-2 in a difficult NFC South. Washington football team and the Arizona Cardinals... I think this is more the Washington football team that we expected after their surprising week one win. Uh, Cardinals doing stuff like going for it in their own territory at the 30 and all that stuff. So, I mean, they're, you know, they played a pretty efficient game. And uh, this, you know, I think the expected result here, Cardinals over Washington. God, I'm starting to get excited about the Cardinals. India Isabella with a deep pass. Yeah. Um, I was excited
1: by this team on paper heading into the season because I thought the year one evolution of Cliff Kingsbury's offense was really encouraging, right? Like he he didn't just come in with a system and was like, this is what I'm running and we'll figure it out if it needs to be adjusted down the line. Like he figured out after like six weeks that, okay, this thing isn't going to function the way it did in college. I'm going to need to make some adjustments and made some pretty substantial changes in terms of personnel usage, in terms of exactly route running concepts, uh, those kinds of things. And he did that like on the fly in the middle of the first year with a rookie quarterback trying to learn the system as well i, I think that was a good sign year two we're seeing them like add uh, weapons add parts to this team like add some more trinkets and some more danger and suddenly now you've got to worry about kyla murray on the design run plays who's one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the nfl in addition to what he does with his arm, in addition to the fact that New Hopkins is now in the building, and uh oh, like now there's a, a legit number one receiver to worry about. This offense, even though like the offensive line isn't very good, is s- kind of scary.
0: Yeah, they looked you know, early in week one, I thought they were going to get Kyler killed. Those wide the 49ers were destroying them with those wide splits, like they were getting somebody in his face yeah. every single time. They settled down since that point. Kyler Murray, this is why I think we liked him so... Part of the reason why we liked him so much coming out, his floor is high because of the rushing ability. Yes,
1: if you lean into it. Which if they you lean are into him.
0: it, right? And he is just... He's two weeks in a row, two dynamic, you know, highlight real runs for touchdowns and everything. So um, we'll talk about Cam Newton in a minute. But yeah, the, and Dak ran for three. I mean, there's rushing touchdowns left and right. Josh Allen, what he's doing on the ground. I mean, more than ever, rushing quarterbacks, of course, Lamar having just a massive impact and i think that's when you do tap into it and you have nuke to your point who could be a high volume guy and he he just looks fantastic i, I he looks quicker he just looks quick and fast like bet i think even better than he did in houston overall helps if you don't cover him in the end zone uh, well i'm just talking overall this season yeah. so far not so much that particular play um I, i've just been impressed and it's another one of those teams you know, Hopkins allows Fitz to play his role and a Christian Kirk to play his role and India Isabella to play his role. The trickle-down effect for that receiving core plus Murray's rushing ability, fantastic. I, I like just
1: it. think the fact that they've added those things to the offense suddenly makes them scary. And now they're 2-0. and Like, they're setting the pace within the division. This, I mean... I wrote before the season that don't be surprised if the Cardinals are be- quick, like better quicker than you expect them to be. Yeah. Now I don't know how much I believe that now. It was just like, well look, this could happen. Let's it's well, put it down. But it it's happening. Wait. Like, this team's not this team's kind of kind of scary on offense. The NFC West is 7 and 1.
0: Yeah. Is that right? No. Yeah, 2-4-5. It was Arizona. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Because San Francisco. Seven, yeah. yeah, they're all there's 3-2 and 0 teams right. and confusing myself for a second there so the Niners are in last yes. at one and one so wait until they continue. you know they already played each other but they'll continue to play each other and it's going to be an exciting division this season a couple more to get through Baltimore Ravens at the Houston Texans another one I kind of it, the Texans have just dealt been dealt Kansas City and Baltimore in weeks one and two yeah it's got to get better for them but I still don't know that we have enough answers on Deshaun Watson and that passing game if it's actually better without Hopkins Watson still doing the same oh, spectacular plays but taking sacks and some bad plays definitely it's, not better
1: yeah I mean I think that part's been answered the question is
0: is it ever going to get better or did they just shoot themselves in the foot yeah and you know Baltimore just another Clean, efficient effort from Lamar Jackson. Running game was better. I think this week it was definitely better this week than it was in Week One against the Browns. They actually weren't great in Week One running the ball. It wasn't like your classic Ravens running, uh, running like crazy. I think they still had some, you know, have some questions at, at guard and everything. But uh, Baltimore, I think, is one of those teams now that can just win in different ways. Week One they didn't run the ball well. This game, 230 yards. Uh, Mark Ingram with the big run to the end to kind of seal it. Uh, they just. They can beat you in different ways. And defensively, your point, your call that they were going to be awesome this year, they've only given up 22 points in two games.
1: Well, yeah. So week one, it's the second year in a row that a team has come in with like a clear game plan. It's like, oh, look, week one you get the entire offseason to basically strategize for one opponent, and you come in with this new game plan. Week one is the second year in a row that a team has come in with a clear and obvious strategy to try and shut down Lamar Jackson. And he's just gone Pfft, that's the plan? Okay, fine. Like, I'll do something else and just wreck you. Like the, the Dolphins came in, just crowded the line of scrimmage, were like daring you, okay, pass over the top of us. We know you can't be a passing quarterback. And he was like, Pfft, five touchdowns over their heads. Browns kind of did the same thing and, again, lit them up. But this is what the Ravens want to do, like just run the living crap out of the opposition and grind the ball down their throats and you can't stop it. So, again, like Lamar Jackson, there's no blueprint. There's this, There's no kryptonite that we're waiting to discover. This is not a flash in the pan that, you know, we're just – there's a ticking clock until the NFL defenses figure out what Lamar's doing, catch up with it, and identify the way of stopping it. It's not happening. Like, there's no answer to what he's doing. He is a singularly unique talent, and it's too good at everything you need him to be good at in order to make it – or in order to invalidate any game plan you have. If you want to load up against the run and stop the fact that he's changing the numbers game up front, he's good enough as a passer to take advantage of the single coverage on the back end. If you want to play conservative and, and back off and try and limit the big plays, he's just going to pick up eight yards per carry on the ground every time. Like He is an impossible-to-defend entity right now.
0: I'd rather take that week one approach and make him make big-time throws like he did He just executed extremely well. And even yesterday, he took a few negative plays yesterday more than he had in the past. But even then, there were so many times where you look like you got him or or everybody's covered. And it's like, I'll just pick up four or five on the ground scrambling. Like he did scramble more a little bit, yeah, more yesterday than he has. Um, And that's the thing, too, is just he is really good at limiting. He doesn't get sacked a ton for a guy that, you know, is mobile or scrambles or likes to hold on to the ball and go through his progression. So there's just not those negative plays either. And that, and that makes them so dangerous. Yeah, so I,
1: I think teams are still of the opinion that um, what we saw in terms of the Tennessee game in the playoffs is the way you beat him, right? Which is this narrative. Lamar can't play from behind. He can't win when all you have is a passing game. I don't think that that's true. I think he just didn't in that game. Like they got in an ugly hole quickly and he had to pass from behind the whole way. Now, one, that's... A situation most quarterbacks struggle in, right? So the fact that he did struggle relatively is not like revolutionary, right? It's not, hey, Lamar can't pass. It's most quarterbacks do not play well in that situation. The ones that do are exceptions and it's not an every game thing. Two, it was one game. Like maybe if you ran it back and you put him in a hole, he'd bring them back. Like he didn't play that badly. Maybe he doesn't make the ugly decision, you know, and cost him like maybe he actually is fine playing from behind if you just ran it back again. So this is the problem with small sample sizes is you can particularly small sample sizes on big stages is you get lulled into this idea that because you saw it twice or once that's the way it works. Maybe you just saw the one time where that actually happens like the idea that if you force Lamar Jackson to be a passing quarterback, you win because he isn't that good is just wrong he's uh, better than
0: that i would just say overall like lamar's game was heavily dependent on big time throws in week 1 just from like yeah. a pff perspective you you would take that for any quarterback right even like aaron rodgers in his prime if it's like the way you're going to beat me is you have to make five four or five special throws per game even though he's more than capable and he very well might do it you would rather that like if you could build your defense around like a small margin of error type of throw You would do that but lamar has shown that he can execute that was what was scariest about the ravens in week one i think is they won i think without the rushing attack being as on schedule as they usually are
1: yeah it might still be the game plan i'm just saying that if if you're expecting that okay all we got to do is to take away the run and force him to pass we'll win because he's not a good passer if you think that about lamar jackson now you're just outdated you're behind the times by at least a year like the fact that he the fact that that's how it panned out against Tennessee in the playoffs should not be what is leading you to think that that is the
0: way of stopping him because it isn't. All isn't. Right, let's go to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers. What a crazy turn of events. Tyrod Taylor expected to start. Uh, was feeling ill before the game, I believe it was. I it was a
1: chest injury. Breathing. It was was having, ribs or
0: something. He was having breathing issues. Was it, it was it- a rib injury that he aggravated in okay. in uh, warmups? So Thanks. Justin Herbert comes out of nowhere to start. He just mm. runs onto the field. Nobody knew. Um, I think he did some classic Justin Herbert things. He missed a bunch of throws. He made some really nice throws. He flipped the field. I, that was my article. He's flip field flipping arm strength, and that's what he showed. Um, so he's got those. Big, like he very Josh Allen like. You know, you've got big play potential. He did like lost in the mix is how many throws he just missed like the, that could have moved the chains but overall for a guy that got just thrust in there it looked pretty good so very quickly before we get into how he played
1: the fact that he knew like 20 minutes before the game started good or a bad thing in terms of his
0: preparation i i think for a rookie it's probably good i mean it's different like football football is a preparation sport right yes. like you actually have to know stuff and it's not just React, yeah. right? So, assuming he did his QB two type of preparation, there is this element of, hey, just get kid, just get out there and play. Don't that's, overthink it. Yeah,
1: the, everybody was using this as like, wow, that guy. Wait didn't, till he practices. No, right. well, yeah. no, no, not even that. But like, he didn't know until like ten minutes before the game the fact that he's able to go out there and play like this is amazing. I'm like, I think that that's actually a significantly better way of introducing him than and him knowing, and yeah. having to like as long as you said that providing he was doing the preparation anyway, right? Like if he he went on the basis that, well, I'm not starting this week and didn't prepare for anything, then that's not good. But if he was prepared, like that cliche of I'm preparing as if I'm the starter every week, if he's actually doing that, I think you're way better off like just dumping it on him, saying, oh, kid, you're starting, Tyrod's hurt, out you go, have fun. Right. And giving him zero time to think about it than you are giving him like the full week of, you know, Overthinking and terrifying himself because he's facing the world champion Kansas City Chiefs with a week's notice. I think that's actually a better thing to go out there and just let loose. And I think you saw some of that, right? Like some of the plays he was making were just out there on instinct. Um, I thought he was—he made some good plays with his legs, but the the touchdown he hit in the left corner of the end zone was insane. That was
0: was really nice. Not just—I mean.
1: That was like you beat a cornerback who was looking for that throw to a spot in the end zone from a reasonable distance. Like, yeah. that is a rare throw to be able to make, you know, and for a rookie to do it is really impressive.
0: Yeah, I mean, the reservations with Herbert were just is the throw-for-throw throw consistency. So the same thing I said about Aaron Rodgers early in the show, the special stuff's there— It's always been there, but like, what's the middle 30? What's those middle 30 plays outside of the the high-end plays? That's the question with Herbert. I love that pass, the seam route to Keenan Allen that he put right on his hands. Just ridiculous. He showed that at Oregon. Herbert showed that at Oregon a lot, the ability to just throw lasers for big chunk plays. Um, And that's why I think – that's why I liked him starting better than Tyrod with this group of playmakers. I think he takes advantage of this receiving group with Mike Williams, with Keenan Allen, with Hunter Henry – more than say a Tyrod. The
1: yeah, I mean the the thing this game was interesting because I think with Tyrod going in there the only way it made any sense was if you were going to lean into this athleticism that he brings and run a sort of Baltimore style offense to try and just chew the clock. Um they bring in Herbert, completely different style of quarterback, uh one that you wouldn't have thought was well suited to that kind of offense. And yet, one of the first things he does is execute like this giant long drive that shoots 10 minutes off the clock and essentially has the same effect, but actually right. there's big plays in there as well. Do you think they, Anthony Lynn's basically, he's come out and said, Look, as soon as Tyrod's healthy, he's the quarterback.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can buy into that. Is that just what you say coming out of the, like the guy that yeah. loses his job because he got a rib injury? Because uh, no pre-game. matter what, no matter how much you like Tyrod, not you, but just one might like Tyrod. Justin Herbert's your guy, right? You drafted number number six for a reason.
1: I mean yeah. You put
0: him out there and he looked yeah. half decent, it's like if he looked if he looked like early right. Jared Goff career or Blaine Gabbert, you're like, all right, the poor kid got thrown out there. He was like he went up against the Super Bowl champs, made some throws, the the situation didn't look too big for Hung him. Hung in all the
1: way to the end. Like you know hung like didn't just it wasn't just early in the early in the game he looked great and then as things you know as the Chiefs got back into it oh they hung around they continued and he like executed a drive late yeah like I understand why you don't start him like he wasn't the guy that we loved in terms of NFL readiness right out of the gate so okay he's not ready he doesn't look ready in training camp or whatever you start Tyrod but I mean that game showed that he looked ready like maybe it was just a one game sample size but it would be really hard to look at that game and say he, he's still not ready
0: for this stage. I Let's think it, put Tyrod back in. I think now. it was time. I think it's time now. I mean, I, I'm, I would have to say too. More concerning, I think the Chiefs' offense looked poor. Um, the Chargers made them look bad. Well, this is worse Super Bowl. than they've ever had. It was the maybe.
1: Super Bowl again, right? It was well, maybe not worse than they've ever had. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was evidence that if you really get after them, like if you throw a ton of pressure at them. You can get to Patrick Mahomes, and you can get him off his game. You can slow him down. The problem is, and this is what we saw in the Super Bowl, it's you just can't get it done for 60 minutes. It's impossible. Right. Eventually, he's going to get a play in there, and that, if if he's hung around, like unless your offense has racked up 35 points already, right? That's your, like if if you if you have a, a kick-ass offense in and of your on your own, and you're able to rattle him that much with that much pressure. Now you can buy yourself, like, enough breathing space to get away and to get into the distance so that you can't close the gap. But if your offense isn't amazing and he's able to keep it within, you know, 10, like, within two scores, they're going to get you eventually. And it happened in the Super Bowl with the Wasp play. It happened here with the deep shot to that Tyreek
0: killed. just ridiculous. But
1: I, that's the problem, right? Eventually they're going to get you. There's yeah. just You cannot do that for 60 minutes. And this was like – Joey Bosa had like an insane game in terms of pressure. 11 against pressures. Mitchell as Schwartz. Of now. Primarily yeah. against Mitchell Schwartz, who's the best right tackle in the game, doesn't give up pressure. Like they were able to get to Mahomes in a way we haven't seen. I was going to say since the Super Bowl. That's two games. But basically, <laughs> we've seen it twice, right? It was nine
0: months, though. Yeah. So.
1: Two teams have done that to Mahomes, and that is the way to do it, but it's,
0: it's still not enough. Like, I mean, he's going to get it. Mahomes has had, let's not overreact here. Mahomes has had, Less than stellar games against New England a couple times, against the Chargers a couple years ago. The Chargers did beat them in 2018. It's not like the only time we've ever seen this, but the the Chargers did a really nice job. Plus, there are plays where just the whole time the Chiefs are coming back in the fourth quarter, you're just expecting them to throw a touchdown and not, you know, rely on a field goal. And they're covering really well and all that, um, and you know, just not letting Mahomes have open throws. Um, also credit mahomes rushing ability how many times did he just pick up yards on the ground and i thought last year there was a point where this kind of became a trump card it's like i'm going to defend the kansas city chiefs i can't cover this group of receivers even if i do mahomes can make special throws and then oh by the way if i do prevent those two things now he's going to start picking up yards on the ground if i play man coverage which he showed in the afc championship against the the texans that was what was you know 21 yards on third and 20 backbreaker
1: that That's what always reminded me of Aaron Rodgers with Mahomes. Yeah. like He's not a special athlete, but he's good enough that if you don't pay attention to it, he can pick up 20 yards and change the game.
0: And part of it's just knowing when to do it, right? It's just knowing. As he becomes more comfortable, he's going to recognize, this is man coverage. I have no spy. This is a free 10.
1: Yeah, right? I mean and that's and that's what
0: he's gotten good at.
1: Yeah, it may not even be knowing when to do it. It's just that eventually a team is going to give you that because they have focused so much on everything else. Like if you turn your back playing man coverage and you are so desperate to stop everything else happening, you give a quarterback that, and if he's a good, like it doesn't matter if it's Philip Rivers, right? Like Philip Rivers sees that, even if it's like twenty yards of open space he realizes that i i'm sufficiently statuesque i could pick up four right that it doesn't matter i'm going to get 8 yards downfield and then five guys from 40 yards away are going to converge on me and i'm not picking it up but mahomes and aaron rodgers and that sort of band of you know recent reason- mobile quarterbacks but not uh, super athletes yeah. are good enough to pick up those free plays when you give
0: it to them yeah they're huge they're extremely valuable plays obviously and uh, you know again credit mahomes in a day where he was his pocket presence wasn't great accuracy was a little off guys were dropping passes he's under pressure they still find a way to to win in the end and now let's wrap it up sunday night football what a game this was i cannot believe that the seahawks and patriots really ha- they've they've had three straight games come down to a play from the one yard line like what are the odds of that actually happening that's insane and of course the boss chris collinsworth fred Godelli and all those they were just i mean they, they they did all those games anyway but they were just on point covering all that i just i can't believe that this game got that close me neither like this, the Seahawks had it won. It felt like the Seahawks were going to continue to just run away with it, run away with it. They have their third and one, and Russell throws it deep. And
1: I had this tweet that's like Russell Wilson is the greatest play in or greatest defensive play in Super Bowl history, away from being four and zero against the Patriots in his career, right? And I had that sitting on my phone for about twenty five minutes. Like I'm like I can't send it yet. It's not quite done, right? And if I send it now, I know that the Patriots will come back and I'll look like an idiot. So I like had it written, and then just sat it there next to me, and I was like, "Oh, this is—they're going to end up losing. Like somehow, having had this game won for the last half an hour, they're going to end up losing from the one yard line because they can't stop Cam Newton." Um, But you know, I just—I couldn't believe that the Seahawks didn't have that wrapped up in time. Talk about that decision, though, because we were talking about it. Running it? Yes. They get to the one yard line, and it's like you haven't been able to stop the Cam Newton mismatch slash overload in the the goal-to-go situations all game, right? He provides this unique mismatch that no one else in the NFL has, and the Seahawks haven't come close to stopping it all game long. It's one play from the one-yard line. Everyone knows what's coming, right? Yeah. At which point, but don't you change if, what's coming?
0: If they didn't run the play action off of it, which was an easy touchdown yes. previously, if they hadn't run that already, I think they would have run it, right? So they ran it earlier, uh, Jacoby, uh, the fullback from Germany, runs onto the flight. He's wide open. Easy touchdown. And it's like – and Chris is just laughing, right? Chris is just, how do you even stop this thing, right? He's right. just laughing at it. Because they already ran that, I figured they were going to come back. And here's what makes it so it's tough to stop. You have seven offensive linemen. You throw two tight ends out there in wings. And you throw the fullback right next to Cam. And you can run it either way. You don't know where it's going. It's a power play. So you're blocking down with all those linemen and you're pulling a guard around. So I texted my buddy who's, you know, he's a diehard Pats fan. He's always texting me during the game. I was like, they're going to run, run Cam and you pull Shaq. And that, I, I think they just went like, this is our bread and butter, right? Mm. We got to execute it. Shaq Mason, we're going to follow him on the pull and we're going to go. And I just, Seattle just completely sold out. Yeah. And boy, the, the football world would have been turned upside down. If all he did was take a step, step back, flip it to the fullback again.
1: Or even not even the fullback, the classic like Tebow fake drive in the line and then just didn't get over the
0: top. They must. I mean, they, have, they, they, don't, have that, they don't have only one play action off of that. Sure. They have another one to use. But this was like, this, is, this was Tecmo Bowl, right? Because in that formation, you probably have four plays. You have power left, power right, and two play actions. And Seattle picked the play. They picked the Tecmo Bowl play. Which was power left, and they sold out. They blew up the fullback. L.J. Collier, you know, justifies his first-round pick status with the uh, with the tackle. It was it was an incredible play. It was an incredible football game. I was Russell Wilson has been just lights out. Obviously,
1: this always it, it sort of reminds me a bit of like uh, in soccer, like a penalty shootout. You, you know, have a if, guess? Yeah. yeah. Well, so if you've gone like if you've got like three three penalties have gone to the right, right, the same side. Now it's this game of like mental cat and mouse, right? What do you do? Does does the keeper keep going to that side because they've got to come back eventually? Like if you've if you've dived the wrong way three straight times and the ball's just sailed into the the, like do you well, crap! Like I don't want to now. I don't want to go the other side because they're just going to put it this side. It's been three straight times. Yeah, this was like that, right? They've just every single time the Patriots have just driven it right up over them and Cam Newton's walked in. Like, do you? Do you sell out against it now, or do you say, well, this is the perfect time to sucker us into that and just dink it over the top with a little Tebow jump pass? Oh,
0: man. Yeah, they, they could have had it. I think they absolutely could have had it. Seattle just – it was Tech Mobile, man. They picked the right play. I mean, first, of all, let's, go, let's go to Cam while we're talking Pat's offense, right? I thought that the offense was very controlled early on. You know, it's just we'd only, we only want to throw when we need to. We'll make some – you know, throw some outside lane passes that Cam excels on. Throws with incredible zip, but boy, did he throw some dimes last night. They mm-hmm. were using Edelman as a vertical threat up the seam. Cam was getting him the ball. I mean, that was... drop touchdown. Should have won the game. And the touchdown went through his hands, right? He, he did put it on Newton played just a fantastic game. He had two bad throws, really. Both of them were the same thing. He yeah. left an out route in. One should have been a pick six, probably. It was really... It was the same pass Brady threw last week for a pick six. Yeah. And then another one that actually did get picked by Quentin Dunbar other than that you know a little high on a couple throws but like dude he was on point and just I think when you watch like arm strength's definitely overrated but there are so many plays over when you watch over the course of a Sunday where it's like man that the zip that Newton has or that Mahomes or Herbert had or whatever that does come into play and it does help and I thought Newton just looks so good Um, from an arm strength standpoint and just creating some some big plays in that offense.
1: I mean, there's certain plays that you can make when you have arm strength that you can make if you don't, right? It doesn't mean that you're inherently going to be better or that you're – it's not the be-all and end-all, but it does mean stylistically there are things you can do that the other guy can't. Right. Um, And, yeah, that was as good as – can't like, for as much as week one was a little bit of an overreaction, one, it was Miami, two, it was this insane run-heavy offense – he didn't actually need to pass all that much um this was way more balanced and he was way more uh there was way more asked of him in terms of passing and he answered it pretty well like this was as good as cam newton has looked in a long long time even considering the bad uh out route you know a couple of those yeah. shots like those were bad plays one of them got punished but he um, only had a handful. He only right, had a handful but despite those two, he still played really quite well.
0: I mean, Seattle, too, game plan-wise, here's what's interesting. They're, they're, they've adjusted their defense to Jamal Adams. This is not your yeah. old school, just like, here's your cover three defense. They're using them in and around the line of scrimmage. They're using them as a blitzer. But then they also had him covering Julian Edelman, and that was a disaster. So as great as Jamal Adams is— They
1: still don't have a slot that they're comfortable with. Yeah, now, I know they were missing—like, they got guys who were going— And they were banged and up and yeah. everything.
0: Um, have to talk about Wilson. He, he's right up there with Aaron Rodgers in this MVP debate. I think it's uh, it's got to be those two right now. Whatever. Let's not debate MVP every week, please. Let's. They're just playing really good football. I didn't talk about it Let's just—they're playing really good football. The deep ball to D- DK Metcalf, who just—he yeah, was torching Stephon Gilmore, who's awesome— the Tyler Lockett connection, uh, David Moore's catch along the sideline was just, just ridiculous. Um, that trio, Metcalf, Lockett, and Moore—that doesn't look crazy on paper. They've been fantastic, and I think the scary part of all this is Brian Schottenheimer's like scheming up some easy plays as well. He's scheming up a wide open, you know, there's a wide open drag route for a touchdown to Freddie Swain, you know. So Wilson's making the special plays plus. The scheme has led to a few easy touchdowns on screens and drags the last couple of weeks. That's what makes Seattle really scary here as they put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands a lot more.
1: The Metcalf um, Gilmore battle was really fascinating to watch because Metcalf wasn't just like he went after him from the first snap physically. Like it's like all right, so yeah. this is the this is the nothing run blocking assignment that receivers get all the time yeah. and usually doesn't, you know, they just sort of walk up, shadow the guy, right? He was running up there like throwing hands in his face, like driving him off the line. It was like, look, you're going to have to deal with some serious physicality today. If you're going to win this matchup and on the the deep touchdown that he got him with, like he just, I don't want to say that Gilmore was scared, but like he was on the back foot all the way through that game in a way that doesn't usually happen. Like Gilmore is able to go toe to toe with these receivers physically and give as good as he gets. And he wasn't against Metcalf like Metcalf was physically overwhelming him from the first snap of the game on stuff that has nothing to do with catching the ball so that when the deep shot came, like Gilmore is trailing and then tries to get back in and just shucks him off with the one hand once he's caught it. Like He just physically overwhelmed Gilmore in a way that I haven't – I don't know if I've ever seen a receiver do that to Gilmore.
0: I'm just so impressed, too, with how Seattle's used DK Metcalf Use him on the vertical routes, the deep overs, deep post. He doesn't have to run the most inc- intricate little dig route or anything like that. They're just using him the right way, which plays perfectly to Russell Wilson's skill set. So Seattle moves to 2-0, and o, and New England, you know, 1-1. One one. They have a tough schedule, but I think you're coming out of that saying like, all right, this is – like the defense gave it up a little bit. That's not what you expect from a Belichick team, but this team can – maybe be more exciting on offense than he expected. I mean, even halfway through the game, it didn't feel like the most exciting offense yeah. until they get into the red zone, right? It feels like this controlled offense. They get into the red zone. They're really tough to stop. But then when they opened it up a little bit, they were even more dangerous. So,
1: I mean, I think this is how healthy Cam Newton stays, right? If, if they get healthy Cam Newton all the way through the season, healthy Cam Newton within the Patriots structure is really good. And like, yeah. that team is going to be
0: tough to stop. I started thinking do they want to lock him up? Or are they doing what I said before the season? Are they just saying, we've got one year of Cam, like run him 10 to 15 times a game, who cares? I mean, it, it's,
1: it's, it's almost the same question. Like it, it's if if you can anticipate him holding up physically, why wouldn't you lock him up? You're not going to do better. Like you're not going to find a better version of this guy or a better option out there. This is as good as you're going to get. Like you're not going to replace a Hall of Famer with a Hall of Famer. So this is like, this is your best option. Problem is... He hasn't held up physically for a while now. Right. Whether you, whether those hits have been caused in the pocket or running, it's irrelevant. The fact, like the fact, is he's breaking down or has been breaking down. Now yeah. they patched him together, and apparently this is the first time he's been one hundred percent healthy in a long time. But every time you throw him up the middle on QB power, it's exposing him to a hit that isn't there for most other quarterbacks. So I don't like it's it's the way you have to play him. Like this is the way Cam Newton becomes. An MVP caliber weapon for you, but I I, I don't know if you can be confident
0: that, that he's gonna last physically. One more thing to add to this Seattle's pass rush is a disaster. I mean it isn't there, it doesn't exist. They have
1: Jamal Adams is their best pass rusher.
0: And it's not even close. And you can't just And you they, know they, who they, the second one is? Benson Myowa.
1: Bobby Wagner.
0: Bobby Wagner. Well, so they sent Jamal Adams eleven times again, second straight week. Um, they don't like to the blitz, they've started to the blitz more. Their front, full, that is, if, if something's going to do them in Seattle, I mean, the pockets were incredible for Cam. Um, and you can't just play cat and mouse with Jamal Adams the entire game unless you just make him a straight up edge rusher. And he's not going to succeed against tackles. All they're, the time, yeah, you know? they're
1: not. They're like trying to, that's their pressure packages right now are trying to scheme Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner against favorable matchups and hope that those guys win
0: because they know for a fact. Yeah. The edge rushers aren't winning. It works every now and then, a little delayed blitz or whatever by Jamal Adams, great. But man, they got to figure something out there in Seattle. So that'll do it. We got uh, Monday Night Football, Las Vegas Raiders hosting the New Orleans Saints. I just want to see Drew Brees, how the arm handle is, holds up with no Michael Thomas. How does that affect the offense there? Will Derek Carr drive the ball down the field this week? Every single week. That's all I want to see. If Drew
1: Brees looks as bad as he did Week One
0: i'm gonna be kind of depressed you're gonna go red light alarm alert alert yeah
1: i mean if he looks like that the saints can't win a super bowl all right so there you have it well they have
0: steve young on the bench you could always put him in there 2.0 pff.com is where you get all the great action once all of the grades are finalized psv2 that's premium stats 2.0 all a part of your pff elite package go check it out over at pff.com it was good to be back sam appreciate you having me there was no small talk today. We'll talk about COVID maybe another day. and uh, Won't that be fun? The experiences and all that stuff. Whatever. We fought it off. We're done. And I'm back, and we'll be back on Thursday for a week three preview. Thanks, everybody.